are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains. This is Jeffrey Grossenbach. It's the Ruby on Rails podcast. Last week I was in New York City, supposed with Sebastian Delmont of Street Easy. This next week, I'm going to be in San Francisco teaching a Get Started with Rails workshop. You can go to carsonworkshops.com and find out the details. I also hope to have a little dinner with local Rubyists June 7th, Wednesday night. So check my blog at Newbie on Rails for the details on that. I also want to thank Dave Zwieback and Josh Owens for a little bit of advice on audio editing and post-production. Hopefully this episode sounds a lot better and I'm going to go back and redo some of the older episodes to make them easier to hear in a variety of circumstances. Also, thanks to everyone for the feedback about advertising. I'm going to look at some of my options out there and see what I can do, but we're going to, def- going to definitely keep it real and not try to get too commercial too fast. So this is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach here in New York City, actually in the offices of Street Easy, a website directory of apartments, condos in New York City and one million and over. It's one point five million is the minimum price. One point five million over. And here with Sebastian Delmont, who is the lead developer. Yeah, and uh, I answer the phones and uh, fetch the coffee. Take out the trash. <laughs> no, trash is Corey. Oh, Corey does trash. On, on odd weeks. And we just had a delicious Venezuelan... Uh, t- oh, no, they're not tacos. It's arepas. It's close to arepas, okay. Yeah. Very nice. So, tell us a little bit about Street Easy. I know it was mentioned on the Rails blog when it launched back in the end of December. What does it do? Where did you get the idea? The site is a vertical search for real estate in New York City. Uh, we are trying to not just provide listings, but all the information around real estate in, in the city, about the communities and neighborhoods. The We're trying to get into all the aspects of uh, what it means to live in New York City. But right now, it's basically sales, and we're adding rentals. We are a site for consumers, not for brokers. We're doing this for people who are looking to buy a house or people who are selling their places and, and want to know what the market looks like, or people who are just uh, into real estate porn. <laughs> entertainment. Yes. There's a lot of entertainment in real estate, especially in New York. I heard an interview with Craig Newmark of Craigslist, and he said real estate is a blood sport in New York City. Probably. Even as spectators get uh, <laughs> into the fight, too. People tend to have very strong opinions about the market and about specific buildings and new developments and uh, neighborhoods and whether gentrification is good or bad or is actually happening or not, whether that new building on Astor Place uh, is terrible or is just mediocre. And you can see it in the, all the blogs about, about real estate okay, in New people. York. It's, it's a very opinionated segment. It's a full-time hobby, writing about yes. real estate. 
It's happening. It is. We started this site back in June or July. Why did you choose Rails? I was asked to come on board by Michael Smith, one of the founders. I've worked with him before. And uh, my previous experience had been with PHP and, and Java-based web apps. We were trying to think about what to use for this site. It was basically between PHP and Java. It was about the time where the Rails uh, marketing machine was getting steam. I had heard about Rails. I actually have a friend who mentioned Ruby about two years ago, and I'm, I'm really, really sorry I didn't listen to him back then, uh, Carlos Tirado. And now I actually had to tell him that he was right. Uh, I just went to the Ruby and Rails site, took a look at the page. I saw the screencast. Uh, I was impressed enough to download it and start playing with it. And by the end of the weekend, I had a little prototype of the site. Monday came, I told Michael, I don't know if this is going to scale. I don't know if we can de actually deploy it. I don't know, but we're going to do it on Ruby on Rails. We're not going to use any other thing, any other platform, any other architecture. This is it. And the biggest reason I liked it is was it had that little uh, trick of scaffolding and, and, and magic behind it that makes you feel like it had simple solution for all the problems. Uh -huh. And I didn't really trust it that. But what felt right is that how the libraries were structured and how the different pieces played together, it felt like if one of the pieces didn't work, it wasn't going to add extra work to the other pieces. If, if for some reason the active record didn't work for me, I knew I could use every other part of the framework without a penalty. Yeah. So that I could use as much as I could without having to pay a price in other areas. Whereas most other frameworks I've used in the past were of the form that if your problem doesn't match exactly our definition of a problem, you can still extend the framework, but it's going to be a very expensive and tiresome process. Whereas with, with Rails, it didn't feel like that way. That's mostly because of Ruby, now I realize. The flexibility of the language and, and how you can open objects and, and insert code into them and so on. That's an interesting perspective because it seems like for a lot of people the appeal of Ruby's or of Rails is it's a whole package and you get the whole thing and it's it's all laid out whereas maybe for other Java solutions you're piecing together a bunch of libraries but on the other hand it gets it right if you wanted to use a different templating system you don't have to use our HTML. If you want to use a different database library you could do it. You'd lose some things that are built in maybe migrations or whatever yeah. but but you, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. So there's still that flexibility. And you can even use parts of a library. The, the libraries themselves looked to be well-designed from that point of view so that I didn't feel... Wor I, I wasn't scared about the, the framework because it, it, it tried to cover a lot of problems at the same time. So it was a little bit... I mean, my first impression was these guys are probably wrong at some uh -huh. something and the whole thing's going to come crumbling down. And what I realized is that they were wrong about a lot of things in terms of, of how it matched my problem, but everything else held tight and, and, and worked. And you could modify or, or enhance or make it work correctly yes. for the kind of things and, you want to do. If, if you look at our 
at Street Easy's code, we we patched and and tweaked and hacked a lot of little things here and there. I mean, we 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 pretty much don't use a standard Rails installation, but all we have is little one or two line code. Uh, not even patches. We're not. We don't touch the code of Rails, but we open the objects and, and add methods or or tweak the methods a little bit, just to adapt it to our problem. Now you started it last fall. Recently, now we have this whole plugin architecture. Do you use that, or do you just drop little opening up classes into the lib directory? Or we have a little bit of of everything. We've uh, began with a, a bunch of files on lib. At some point, plugins came along. We started using a couple of plugins and we started as I said pluginizing our patches I mean basically turn them into plugins just because it's easier to manage the directory structure you can put the tests on the same directory of the code you, yeah. can, you can have more than one file and uh, we right now we have a, about 20 different plugins half our standard plugins we've downloaded uh, the other half is mostly our code that we try to separate from the rest of the site just to keep it manageable. What about, you said with the practical execution of the site, you're getting a lot of data in from other existing realtors or systems like that, and, and you've got to bridge that Web 1.0, Web 2.0. There are XML feeds and ways to easily get this data, but you're scraping and pulling that in. Are you doing that with Ruby also? We are, yes. We use Ruby for that, too. We have... Uh, created what, what we call scrapers which are, we have one per real estate site we scrape and we basically have a DSL uh, language for scrapers. You, you just specify uh, which page to get a form from you fill a couple of fields and you submit that form and then you look for certain URLs and then you the, the code goes fetch those and has a bunch of regular expressions to extract the price for a listing, number of bedrooms, the description, the address, and so on. We run that around a, a lot of uh, code to validate whether what we're getting is what we expect. We, we don't like when real estate sites change their layouts because it breaks our data. So we have a bunch of uh, validations that go on and the alerts and emails that get sent. And it's, it's a work in progress. We've done uh, only as much as we've needed to, to keep going we keep adding more features and, and, and as we learn what the problems are we're trying to have a better control right now parallelizing those runs and, and have better historical tracking of what the results are but it's all Ruby there's only one part of the code that's not Ruby it's a piece of Fortran all right. that uh, Michael actually compiled to, it, it's a little coordinate conversion program. We needed to import some data that uh, we were too lazy to convert to Ruby and found some source code in Fortran and got it compiled and it worked. That's so great. We were, we're pragmatic. We're not going <laughs> to try to understand the whole geometry of coordinate translation just for a simple import. So. So if you started back in July, you've gone through a couple different revisions of Rails. How do you manage that with seeing a new version coming up, you know, 1.1.2, and do we use these new features, or do we upgrade immediately? 
what's do you have a strategy for managing that we uh no strategy no okay no strategy <laughs> go along <laughs> no we 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 started back when it was rel rel 0.13 i think okay uh like most people, we started by installing Rails in the machine and then using it, and we got burned when something changed and we upgraded and it broke something. So we moved it into the vendor directory right away. And ever since we've been, every now and then, when there's something new in Rails that, that we need, we go and, and install and test it and, and see if it works. We have a couple of patches for bugs that are not yet in the in the rails we're running but that we need to fix yeah and again just little patches of code here and there but it's been mostly fine we were not we we had a little bit of pain when rails 1.0 came out a couple of things there's big changes yeah but it i mean when i mean a pain is that we spent a couple of days fixing things and making sure everything ran uh with 1.1 it was mostly uh transparent it was more about downloading and, and running things to see if they work, but it was painless. But we've, we've pretty much left it alone ever since. We haven't played with, with the upcoming features yet. You mentioned, too, that you've got a whole database of basically every dwelling in New York, in uh, Manhattan, at least, and then you can compare it, and, and sometimes you can even tell when real estate sites are... Don't when uh, ads aren't completely honest, or or you can even correct it and make that more accurate. Was that an intentional part of of why you wanted to build the site, or it just kind of happened as you started comparing all of this? Uh, a little bit of both. We we wanted to have that database of buildings so we could better map what the listings were, what the the addresses were. New York City has a something that's different from most of the country, which is seventy five percent of the buildings are co ops, not condos. And that's that means there's less data available for those, and uh, it it kind of confuses most other real estate sites that try to deal with New York City. And by having this database, we can we can better keep track of what's available and group them into the building, which is the, the what matters. Uh, better provide you with historical data and with what's available in the same building right now. What when you're looking at something, give you tell you whether the price is reasonable or not for a new listing and so on. But it also let let us deal with the neighborhoods. Neighborhoods in New York, as in most other cities, are very important. But the boundaries are not well defined. Especially brokers tend to overstep those boundaries a little uh-huh. to their convenience. Actually, more more developers of new buildings than brokers. Brokers okay. know that uh, it's on, to their advantage to keep the definition of Tribeca stable because yeah. their the, the, their listings are actually in Tribeca are more valuable. Uh-huh. But a, a developer that has nothing but listings uh, one block over in Chinatown, they actually prefer to call it Tribeca, and they even so use nearby. that in the name of the building. At some point, we decided we would draw a line in the sand and, and decide this is going to be Tribeca for us and even in, for some neighborhoods we had to decide where to draw, where, where to put that boundary because it wasn't that well established and uh, we are 
might be wrong by a block or two in a, in a couple of places, but pretty much we nailed all the neighborhoods in, in New York City. And uh, we know, we, we tagged all the buildings in the database with their own neighborhoods. So that when a, a real estate site claims that a listing is in Fiveco, we can actually say, yeah, sure, you're selling a listing in the Tribeca Tower, but it's actually located in Chinatown. We're pretty sure it's Chinatown because it's east of Broadway. And they were very sorry, but it's Chinatown. Well, maybe you'll have to evaluate Seattle, too. I think two blocks from my current apartment, there's the Tribeca Lofts. So I think maybe that's not really in Tribeca. It, yeah. <laughs> we, we, uh, let me look in our database. Okay, I think it's, see the- Yeah. It's probably west of Broadway, so that's. <laughs> but it's it's also west of the Hudson River, so that's where you try back our hands. Well, t- people are always interested technically, especially. I think the last time I was actually in a Rails shop was at Odeo in San Francisco. So, what kind of hardware servers are you running? I'm sure you know Odeo had huge amounts of audio and data that they were had to serve out. You probably don't have that much of a uh, bandwidth that's going in and out, but what kind of hardware does it take to run this kind of site? Well, in, in keeping with the pragmatic approach, we've uh, we browsed the web and found a couple of dedicated server companies that had reasonable prices, and we ended up getting a bunch of dedicated servers. Uh, we actually got more than we needed to because of a form-filling accident. Uh, but it was... The prices were cheap enough, and and that we decided, hey, what, we'll keep them as backups, and and so we can uh, play with with full load balancing and partitioning before we need to. Uh, right now, we're running with a couple of web servers on the front, running Lighty with DNS balancing. Okay. Uh, FastGI to four application servers in the back. Uh, one database server running MySQL. It's a dual processor. It's the only dual processor we have. And another server that we are we call the batch server. It's the one that runs most of the scraping and all the data processing uh, tasks. And it's also asked, uh, working as a backup database server. And we have a our development box that runs the source control, runs uh, continuous integration, and a couple of uh, the beta sites that are automatically deployed if all the tests pass, then it deploys to that beta site, and we can always have a, a working copy of the site running and a test database too, the, the, the beta database. And that's it. That's the a few Mac laptops as our workstations. So I haven't looked that much into the continuous integration, but you, is that an extra setup to have it automatically deployed to a, a demo server we, after a successful build? Or? It was simple. We, I mean, we we used Capistrano back when it was still called Switch Tower. Uh huh. And we created a task that just deploys. And we did it in a way that, that it will figure out whether you want it to deploy to the production site or the beta site. And it just, uh, it, it's just a conditional on the top of the Capistrano file that sets a different set of servers. Okay. And uh, and we just added to the, the CIA is what we use for continuous integration and it uses a, it just runs the default task. So we just added to the default task 
a little bit of code that if 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 you're run, being run by CIA, then deploy at the end. If everything works, just try to deploy to beta. Okay, that's it was it was fairly simple. Yeah, it just, that makes sense. I should use that on a project I'm working on. Good stuff. Well, generally speaking, what plans do you have for the site in the future? I know you've got a little bit of a redesign coming up. We have a, a redesign coming up. We are also adding rentals, which in New York City is a big deal. Uh, we'll, we don't have numbers, but the traffic we're going to get from people looking for rentals, we expect it to be several times larger than, than people looking to buy. We are we have lots of plans for the future. We want to add uh, better tools for realtors so they can enter their own data into the site. We want to add even think about doing that for small realtors that have just 10 listings or so that, that don't even have their own database system so that they can even use us as their backend. We want to start adding more and more data analysis, both tools and, and pre-built calculations, if you wish. Study, get a better sense of what the market's looking like in an aggregated basis. So history, other properties for sale in the area. Yeah, and moving averages of prices and, and, and whether the bubble is bursting or still floating. Right now we have very, very little aggregated data. We, and we have so much information in the database that we can provide lots of things. But we're, we've avoided that because we know that if we don't do it correctly, it'll be mostly confusing for people. So we're, we're going slowly in that regard. We also want to try to get the community going, try to get people discussing real estate in New York, discussing neighborhoods, discussing buildings and listings themselves. That's something that takes time. It's the kind of uh, building communities doesn't happen overnight, so we're being patient with it. But it's it's one of the goals we have. And you are hiring? Are you... We are. We are or maybe always, in the future. We are hiring. We want, we're looking for smart people. We've even said that we're, we don't care if you know rails or not, we'll train you. What we're looking is for people who can think. We're not looking for lots of people, so it's just looking for one or two. And we're, but we're we're growing slowly. We we said that we we like to be uh, a little bit smaller than we need to. We'd rather be smaller than than, than too big. So we're, we take it easy. Looking at this office, if this was five years ago, a startup in Seattle, there would have been eighteen developers and twenty marketing people. But you've got three people here and great looking site and getting a lot of. Uh, lot of attention already it's I, I don't have to say it but a lot of it came from rails that it made it possible to to do it that efficiently we're big fans here right. <laughs> this has been the ruby on rails podcast transcripts courtesy of imapenguin.com intro music by cake closing music by wide lucky stiff audio equipment by samson audio Chunky Bacon. Get